Well, today we are continuing our series, Who is Jesus? And last week we got it started with, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Tim brought that message to us today. We are going to look at where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we're celebrating communion today, so it's a very appropriate message for us. In fact, uh, Tim was doing something different in the sanctuary today that he will do up here in a few weeks um, because we're actually going to flip-flop this service or this sermon and make sure it's a part of the communion message in the sanctuary as well. Uh, it's a very appropriate message because it's where Jesus introduced for the very first time the idea of what we know as communion. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go through this message today. But before we begin, I, I just want to ask you a question. And if you've got your message notes, you might want to pull out your message notes and just kind of jot down your answer. You may not want your neighbor to see it. Uh, and I want you to be honest as you answer this. You, this, is, this could be as superficial as you want it to be. It could be as deep as you want it to be. It's up to you. But here's the question. What is the one thing that you think you cannot live without? What's the one thing that you think you cannot live without? So give you a second to, to jot that down, and then we're going to jump into our message. I think I saw somebody looking at me saying, you're holding it over your head. Sorry. Um, so we're going to jump into our scripture for this morning, which is from John chapter 6. And this is in the middle of a huge long chapter, 71 verses, and we're going to touch on a little bit of everything that happens in the chapter. But for our purposes today, we're really going to focus on what happens in verses 25 through 35. So if you've got your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen, I invite you to at this time. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who is giving you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that in this hour that this bread from heaven would be revealed to us, that this mysterious discussion about bread and eternity, that through it you would be revealed, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that this would not just be uh, a time of, of thinking through things, but it would be a time of, of realizing truths that are there within your holy scriptures. 
So God, I ask that you would open them up to us during this time. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in our second week of Who is Jesus? And Who is Jesus is a series that we began last week, and it's going to carry all the way through to Easter Sunday. So it's going the entire season of Lent. Lent is the time of year in the Christian calendar. It's six Sundays leading up to Easter Sunday. It's 40 days, if you don't count the Sundays, starting with Ash Wednesday. And Lent is a time that historically has been a time of self-denial. It's been a time that people have given up something. You might have friends who you didn't even know were Christians who will ask the question, so what are you giving up for Lent? It's become a little bit of a cultural thing, and some people use it as a dieting excuse. It's like, well, I need to have a diet, and my New Year's resolution is already shot, so how about Lent? And so people will jump in, and they'll, they'll give up something for Lent. Well, the other day, uh, my wife Emma was talking to one of her co-workers at her graduate assistantship, and she asked her co-worker um, what she was giving up for Lent, and she said, well, I'm not really giving up anything for Lent. Uh, what I've been doing is I've been doing a series of 10-day fasts since the beginning of the year. And Emma's like, that's interesting. And so the co-worker kind of unpacked it a little bit, and what she was saying was she would for 10 days, she would fast something. So she did like a internet fast. She did a social media fast. One thing that she did that was really interesting was she did a personal transportation fast. So everywhere she went, she had to go either by walking, biking, or using public transportation. Uh, she did a fast of 10 days in which she did not spend money. Uh, I have no idea how that happens. I don't know that I go like 10 hours without spending money, but she went 10 days without spending money. And, and through that process, as you can imagine, you start to realize how much we depend on certain things. When we start to deny ourselves, you start to realize the things that we think we cannot live without, but then we start to realize through a little bit of self-denial that we can live without some of them to a certain degree. Well, this past week, I heard a, a little illustration that I thought was just really, really important for this whole idea. And I, I was at a church social media conference on Thursday. That's right. I was at a church social media that hasn't sunk in yet. I was at a church social media conference. And so I sat there thinking to myself, this is a church social media conference, which is just kind of weird and bizarre that we're in that day of age where they have conferences for church social media. And there was a guy speaking there, and it's social media. The topic is social media. So I'm expecting all these nice, relevant, cutting-edge illustrations. And one of the guys got up to speak, and he started talking about Gulliver's Travels. Anybody remember Gulliver's Travels? Did you have to read it when you were in school? Or uh, I think Ted Danson made a made-for-TV movie uh, where he played Gulliver several years ago. Uh, but it's a pretty well-known story. And, and this was the illustration that he, he shared from it. And I thought that there was so much truth and impact within this. He was talking about when Gulliver was in the part, the world, where there were the little people. I think they were called like Lilliputians or, or something like that. I can't pronounce it right. But the, the little folks. And this is what it said <coughs> about them. It said, the tiny Lilliputians surmise that Gulliver's watch may be his God because it is that which he admits he seldom does anything 
without consulting. So he was always looking at his watch. Before he would do anything, he would look at his watch. And so the people started to think that must be his God because he consults with it before he does anything. And the guy who was speaking at the conference, the point that he was making is that I believe that if people were to come and look at us, they would look at our smartphones and they might surmise that that was our God because we look at it and we consult it before we do anything. And for you, it may not be a smartphone. For you, it, it might be an iPad. For you, it might be the TV guide and the DVR plan. Wh whatever it might be for you, we all have different things in our lives, different sources that we point towards that we follow for direction whether we should or should not. Now, some things we turn to are actually of God, but other things that we turn to may not be. So, that brings us to this passage in which Jesus is talking to a crowd. Now, the way that John chapter 6 works, this is the way that a lot of the gospel of John works, is there are moments where Jesus is with a big crowd of people. Then there are moments where Jesus is just with his disciples. And then the crowd will get back together. Then Jesus will kind of disappear and he'll talk to the disciples a little bit. And then the crowd will get back together. And, and so there's this kind of back and forth going on where there's experiences that Jesus has with a big group of people. And then there are experiences that Jesus has with just his disciples. Well, what has happened is at the very beginning of chapter 6, there is a famous story that if you grew up in church, you more than likely heard at some point. And it's where Jesus fed the 5,000. And John points out that it took place at the time of Passover. And so Passover was a Jewish festival commemorating their deliverance from the promised land in which they escaped in the night to go to, well, they actually went into the wilderness before they made it to the promised land, but it was when God led the Israelites out of the nation of Egypt and out of slavery. And so all these people are gathered together, and the disciples are looking around, and they're saying, what are we going to do with all these people? There's so many people here. Everybody's hungry, and we don't know what to do about it. So what, what they did is Jesus said, bring me whatever we've got. And so th they had five loaves and a couple of fish. And Jesus took it, and he broke it, the bread. He blessed it and gave it to all of them to the point that everyone had all that they needed. And so people are ecstatic about it. They're so pumped about Jesus and this miracle that he's done that they are like, let's, let's make this guy a king. He has provided for our needs. Let's make this guy a king. And so Jesus doesn't want to be a king in the earthly sense. And so what he does a lot of times is whenever people start trying to make him king is he withdraws. And so he withdraws from the crowd, and the disciples are out, and that's when Jesus walks on the water. They see him walking on the water across the lake. And so when it picks up in the passage we read this morning, and they said, Rabbi, how did you get here? They didn't realize that Jesus had walked on the water to get there. They, they were just like, I have no idea how you got here. But they find Jesus... And if you were there, and you were part of the feeding of the 5,000, you probably would be sitting there thinking to yourself, huh, this guy was able to produce all this bread, produce all these fish, fishes, so that we could eat and have all that we wanted. 
let's just keep coming back to this guy and see if he can keep giving us more. It's a very natural reaction. And so they come to him, and they're asking for more of something that's going to quench their physical needs. And so in verse 26, Jesus responds to them, and what he does is he takes their physical need and says, really, you've got a spiritual need that you're not aware of. He says, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so what they're asking for is they're asking for more bread. They're saying, we want more of what you've given us already. We want more of this provision. And he's saying, I think there's something more that you need here. Jesus has this way when he has encounters with people of always taking their physical needs, their physical concerns, and pointing them towards something greater, something bigger, and something that's actually going to give them lasting life. Now, the interesting thing, as I mentioned, is that this takes place around Passover. John points out that the feeding of the 5,000, this whole exchange about bread, takes place around Passover. Now, what did Passover represent? Well, for the Israelite people, for the Jewish culture, Passover was a time in which they thought about their deliverance. They thought about being set free from slavery. And so they, they remember the movement that they had from slavery out into the wilderness in which they wandered around before entering the promised land. Now, part of that experience of wandering around in the wilderness was the experience of manna. Manna in the Hebrew literally means, what's that? It was this bread-like stuff that kind of fell from heaven, and that's what they ate off of. And they, it would be new every day. New every day, they would have manna, and they would go, and God would have provided food for them for that day. And so they're thinking, hey, Moses was able to do this. Moses was able to give us bread that was new every day. And Jesus is like, well, well, well let's, let's not get too happy with Moses. Uh, I think it was God who made the bread happen. Moses just happened to be the one passing it out to everybody. But here, here's the thing in verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. Whatever feeds on this bread, Jesus is talking about himself, the bread of life, will live forever. In verse 35, Jesus makes the claim, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Well, there's something significant about this claim. There's something really interesting about it, because he's saying, you have these physical needs, you have these things you're turning to for your sustainment, for your source of life. And he's saying think you're missing the point what you really need is me he trumps their longing for more by saying i'm going to give you something that lasts and so there's this long discourse that follows and they're kind of going back and jesus is talking to the disciples jesus is talking to the crowd jesus is talking about bread and then in verse 51 he says 
something very bold and very weird. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, there's a, uh, Tim mentioned uh, something that was in David Platt's book, Radical, last week when he was talking about the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, at the very beginning of David Platt's book, Radical, there's a very interesting thing where David Platt was talking about when he first became the pastor of the church that he's the pastor of. It's a very large church in Birmingham. And when he got there, the people said to him, congratulations on being the youngest megachurch pastor in America. And he said, you know, I don't know that that claim's absolutely true anyways. Uh, but I, he said he always had a hard time with it because the person that he modeled his ministry after was Jesus. And Jesus, whenever the crowds got big, would say something really weird like, uh, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood or you have no part of me. And, and David Platt kind of jokingly points out what I've thought so many times when I've read that is that the disciples had to be sitting there thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, everything was starting to go so well. We had this great feeding going on. Then Jesus walks on the water. All these crowds are around. They want to make you king. That means we're probably going to be next in charge. And then Jesus launches into this whole, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood thing, you can have no part of me. And all of a sudden, the crowds start to disappear. Go figure. It's kind of weird. It's kind of crazy. Now, we look at it, and we think of it, those of us who've grown up in church, we think about communion, and we, we instantly hear that and, and think about the symbolism involved in it. But to them, it was probably a very bizarre thing to hear. When we were working on our sermons for The Way, the Truth, and the Life last week, John Horton was preaching in the sanctuary, Tim was preaching up here, and they're sitting there, and they're just like, this is a great message about salvation and all these good things about Jesus. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, and next week I've got to do the one on eat my flesh and drink my blood. Thanks, guys. Uh, I don't know how I drew the short end of that stick. But it's, it's one of those troublesome teachings in which we kind of have to wrestle with as we seek to understand what this is all about. And then in verse 60... We hear these words. This is where the crowd starts to fizzle out a little bit. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, what was so hard about this teaching? I mean, admittedly, this whole, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood thing's a little weird. But what was so hard about the teaching. I believe that the difficulty involved was not so much about the whole bread, flesh, blood poured out for you thing. I think what was so hard about it is he was asking them to do something that we very seldom can do. He was asking them to not put their hope in bread that was going to rot. Not put their hope in provision for today and provision for tomorrow, but to put their hope in Him. And so many of us, we have whatever you wrote down 
might be your thing, the thing you think you cannot live without. We all have different things that we turn to as our source of comfort, our source of sustainment, our source of life. But Christ reminds us, and it's a hard teaching, Christ reminds us that we should turn to Him and Him alone. Now, the disciples kind of have a little bit of a shining moment here. And this is something absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite exchanges in all of Scripture. In verse 66, we pick up, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The crowds are leaving. This whole teaching about trusting in Jesus as the source of their life instead of provision that's tangible is too much. And so he turns to the twelve and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I believe that God's calling us to reach that place in which we are not looking for something else. To reach that place in which we turn to Jesus and we say to him, to whom could we go? To where could we go? For you have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. Where else can we go? There was a pastor from the United States who was pretty well thought of, and he went to visit in a country uh, that was less fortunate than ours. And while he was there, he was ministering with a church, partnering with a church there. And every time he was around, the pastor of this, this church that they were working with would come to him and say, uh, you know, pastor, evangelist, what, whatever it was he would call him, we need a roof for our worship space. We need a new roof for our worship space. And then a couple of days would go by, and this guy, this missionary from America, just kept, kept walking away every time he would bring something up about provision. And, and then the pastor of this church would come up and say, we have got to build a new building here. If we can build a new building here, God will give us everything that we need and everything will come together in our community and, and, and the guy from America just kind of walked off again. And, and this would go on for a couple of days and it, it was a roof, it was a building, it was uh, a new center for this and, and he's just going on and on and on and on. And then the guy from America was standing there one day and the pastor of this church walked up to him and with tears in his eyes, he, he looked at him and he said, you know, we don't need that roof. We don't need that other building. We, we, you know, they'd be great. They'd be nice. But we need, the one thing that we need is God's Holy Spirit to be in our midst and in our lives. And the guy from America said, you got it. And it's so many of us, 
as churches, as individuals, we, we, we think if we could just have one more thing, if we could just have some more bread for today, if we could just have a little bit more provision, then we'll be all right. But Jesus reminds us that we are not supposed to just keep seeking more things. You, you may have heard it said, God, help us not to seek your hand, but to seek your face. And so many of us are struggling because we keep turning to God to provide for us, and we're missing out on experiencing God as God reveals himself in Christ to us. And so how do we experience Christ? How do we experience Christ himself? There are three things that I, just off the top of my head, I believe that, that God reveals Christ to us. Uh, one, we're doing today, and that's worship. We come together and we worship together, and in the, in the experience of singing songs together in which God's name is lifted up, Christ is revealed to us. We come together, we hear teaching from God's word, and through that, Christ is revealed to us. The second thing is through our devotion, through our, our times where we set apart and we say, God, I'm going to seek you and seek to know you more. And, and that, for you, might be a time of prayer each day. It might be uh, reading through a part of Scripture on a daily basis or a few times a week. Whatever it is, those are the things in which we experience Christ and we begin to rely more on Christ as our Savior. And the third is what we're actually about to go into, and that's celebrating communion together. For it's in communion that we hear those words again. We hear those words in which Christ said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. This is my blood, which is poured out for you. Take and drink. And it's in that experience, as crazy and as mysterious as it is, it's in that when we do it together, and it's been this way, since the very beginning of Christianity, before Christ even left this earth, there was a worship service, the Last Supper, in which they celebrated that together with his disciples. But throughout history, it's been in that experience that we feast on that bread of life, that eternal hope, that life that is only found in Christ. And so whatever... Thing it is, whatever thing it is that you can don't do anything without consulting first. Perhaps God is calling you to experience Him as your one source of hope, your one source of life. 